23, verses 16 and 17, and we'll look at a smattering of other scripture as well. And what we're going to look at today is uh, we'll continue our series of what should we expect. And today is something we should expect from believers. Uh, Like I said, most of this series will deal with what we should expect from believers. And uh, what keeps me in a job, I guess, is uh, the same thing that kept the Old Testament prophets in a job. It's funny when you read the Old Testament, uh, it's... What do I call that? The circle of what? The circle of sin, the, the circle of dumb, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's another word, but there's, I can use it, but some people don't like that word, so I won't use that. The circle of sin, basically. The prophets, they say the same thing, right? It's not like they're saying anything really new to the people. They're bringing the word of God and, and correcting people with the word of God. And because we need constant reminding, because the the church, brothers and sisters, need encouragement, need constant reminding. Uh, I get to preach things like this. And because that we have wrong teaching, because that we have false teaching in our church, uh, not just at Concord, I'm not saying that this is a, a problem with our teaching, but it is a problem with some of our membership. Um, it's definitely a problem in the Western church that we need to talk about that we as Christians should hold a high view of Scripture. And we would amen that, right? Amen. Amen. But we say that, but we don't do it. <laughs> it's one of those things that we verbally agree. We'll say, okay, if you come and be a member of Concord, here's some things that you, you have to agree with. And if you don't agree with these things, there's going to be a problem. Uh, and this is one of the things that if there's, if there's not a problem, I'm going to go ahead and make a problem. Because sometimes you need to make a problem. I don't know about you, you guys at your house, but like when your kids would misbehave, um, and they, maybe it wasn't like they were just trashing the kitchen, right? They were being disrespectful. Uh, maybe it was yesterday or whatever. Um, and we need to make a problem. You know, we go find that child and say, hey, there's a problem with how we've been acting for the last week or two. Uh, you know, yesterday, if it was just yesterday, it's one thing. But this is how you've been acting. And we need to make a problem sometimes. And because of this, in our church, we teach things like this, that we, ha- we hold a high view of Scripture. And because of that, Scripture has authority. Whenever we don't hold a high view of Scripture, Scripture does not have authority. It only has authority with what Jane wants or with what Corey wants. And we kind of chuck the rest, right? If you want a good example... Look at Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Is that God's word or not? If it's God's word, that has implications, right? If it's not God's word, if it's kind of like, well, if we want to adopt the gap theory or if we want to put science on top of that, what are we doing? So as, as Christians, what we want to do is filter everything through Scripture first. And there's going to be times where we say, I don't understand that really. Right? But what I'm going to do is I'm going to rest on Scripture and do my best to study. And maybe I can glean from some other people who have studied a little bit longer than I have and see what God's Word says. So we're going to look at today, we, we as Christians, we should expect a high view of Scripture. We'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. 
All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, this is part of the reason why we have the trouble that we do sometimes, is because we are not doing a good job teaching. We don't like to rebuke, do we? That's very uncomfortable. Um, How many of you were here for that sermon last year I preached on church discipline? Seven or eight of you? Was that a comfortable sermon? That was very uncomfortable for you. It was very uncomfortable for me. Now, can you imagine me dealing with that on a personal basis? Would that be a fun thing to do? That is not a fun thing. So we, we have trouble with that. We have trouble with rebuking. We have trouble with correcting training in righteousness, so that we can be equipped. This is why we do these things. This is why we hold a high view of Scripture, so we can do these things. If Genesis 1 through 11 is not God's Word, it is not truth, then I don't have to do this. I can take and pick and choose what I want, right? I can say, this is uncomfortable for me. I'd rather not do this. Well, for you guys, I'm the preacher. There's a passage in Ephesians or something that says I'm supposed to do stuff like that. Well, you guys are off the hook, right? And so if I don't take that, I can, I can chuck that, or you guys can chuck that and say it's Toby's job. I guess if we exegete that poorly, if we look at it rightly, I'm supposed to teach that who does it? Everybody does it, right? Everybody does it. Father, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for this opportunity to be in this book that Paul wrote to his, I'm assuming, young protege. Uh, Father, I pray that we can be like Timothy to receive the word of truth, to apply it to our, our uh, lives, our homes, our contexts, wherever we are. Father, I pray that as we, as we look at having, holding a high view of Scripture, that we might let everything that we do and all the issues that we come in contact with, the way that we witness to people, be filtered through Scripture, that we hold this high view of Scripture, that when people say you're doing a circular argument, going back to Scripture, when we say that that's not true, this is what we look to. It is truth, whether people decide that it is or not. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for a changed life. Lord, I pray that as as I attempt to speak with boldness, that our hearts might be changed, that we might uh, have, a, have a change of attitude with some and encouragement with others. And most of all today, I pray that if there's some who are here today who are apart from you, they've never repented of their sins and never turned to you and, and allowed your son, uh, accepted that gift that he provided on the cross, that, uh, that, that death, that sacrifice that he provided that they might accept that as their Lord and Savior and begin to walk with Him and begin to let Your Word and Your Holy Spirit guide their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first truth we'll look at today, and you'll see this in your bulletin in verse 16, is that God's Word is inspired. It is inspired. This part of the reason why we believe that, we hold a high view of Scripture. It's inspired. Otherwise, we can do what Thomas Jefferson did and get our little exacto knife and we can cut out whatever we want and then have a Bible with what we want, right? This is God's word is inspired. 
So let's break this down just a little bit, and we'll start with all Scripture. All Scripture is inspired. That literally means what? All, right? The Greek word for all means all. You don't have to be a Greek scholar for that. It literally means all. Every Scripture is what he says right here. So let's look at First Timothy or Second Timothy three fifteen. You'll see this verse up on the overhead. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're a smart uh, atheist or if you're a smart uh, non-Christian apologist and you're coming at the Christian, you're going you're gonna to pick this up in this, in this scripture right here. But you're going to say, well, he was talking about the Old Testament. All scripture is, is inspired, and it is in that uh, non-Christian apologist would be right. He is talking about the Old Testament here. So Old Testament scriptures are what? They're inspired, right? So even if your atheist friend who's, uh, who's, who can pick up on this and say, well, that's the Old Testament is inspired. So everything that Jesus said, you know, we can kind of chuck right there. You can go with that if you want, right? Take them to Isaiah 64, 6, right? Take them to the prophets. Show them how depraved they are. Go to Exodus and use the Ten Commandments. I used those this last week. I was witnessing to a, to a person, and they said, I'm pretty good. And I said, well, according to what? Well, according to everybody. Well, like, yeah, I guess, but according to God's word, you're not, right? Take them, to the, take them to the Ten Commandments. So let's look at proof texts from Scripture to show us that we can trust the New Testament. So what about the New Testament? Take a look at 2 Peter 3.16, and if you're, if you're not like uh, some and can flip to it real quick, it's on the overhead here. Second Peter 3.16. You know, I learned the other day that sometimes I have a word in my head and I say the wrong word. When was that? Was that Wednesday that I kept saying Matthew and I meant John, right? So be mindful of that. I, I have, um, what do you call, is it mental dyslexia? I don't know. I want to make up, I'm going to self-diagnose myself. So whatever's on the screen is correct, even if I say the wrong thing. 2 Peter 3.16, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, that's funny, as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter not only shows that he's aware of Paul's writings right here, but he equates them to scripture. So Peter's saying, okay, Paul's writings are just the same as Scripture. He puts them in the same category as the Old Testament when he's talking about Scripture. Let's look at some other examples. 1 Timothy 5.18. For the Scripture says, do not uh, muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Here Paul is quoting Jesus' words in Luke 10.7. Let's read those. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Paul is quoting Jesus, so boom, there is some scripture right there. Paul says of his own words, 1 Corinthians 14, 37, If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that I am writing to you as the Lord's command. It is scripture. This is a command from God that Paul says. So, since we can establish that the Old Testament and the New Testament are Scripture, 
this verse, these verses in 2 Timothy are Scripture. They are inspired for us. They are for us, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting. All Scripture is inspired. So whatever Bible you hold in your hand, it's okay. Right? If you're like me and you have a device that holds 47 billion different types of... That's what I like about this. I've got every single Bible version on here for free almost. It's crazy what you can look up on this rascal. And if you're one of those that gets all worked up about what scripture to, to read, uh, you guys know how I feel about that. Read the one that you can read. But let's just go ahead and pick fun at all of them real quick. And you'll see these on the screen. The NIV, that's the nearly inspired version, okay? Most of you are reading out of, that's the one that we have quoted up there. The King James Version, the King Junk Version, or the Kingly Jargon Version. What do I call the King James? The King Jimmy, right, or that big black Bible. Uh, the NASB is the New Apostate Standard Bible. The Holman Christian Standard is the Heavily Controlled by Southern Baptist Bible. The ESV is the Extra Spiritual Bible, the CEV is the Close Enough Bible. The NLT is the New Liberal Translation. The New King James is not the King Jimmy. And the Good News Bible is the Gender Neutered Bible. All right, so we go ahead, we went ahead and picked on them all, okay? So whatever Bible you use, and in our pews, we have the Nearly Inspired Version. Uh, and did I miss anybody's Bible? I wanted to make sure I hit everybody's so I could get everybody teased because... You know, he's just picking on my Bible. New Century, that one is close enough to the, uh, the CEV. I think that's a takeoff of the, of the CEV. So it's close enough, Vicky. Close, <laughs> close enough. And these, these are funny, but there's reasons why these are somewhat accurate teasings of these. Uh, they all have, like, the, let's take the ESV. Does anybody read the ESV besides Maya today? Pick on Maya. Uh, all of, most of the Reformed churches will, will preach out of the ESV, and, and people like to tease them that they're you know, a little more spiritual of us, so they call it the extra-spiritual version. They're not. It's just the version they like to read. Uh, it's a good version. So people get fired up about translations. I've got a couple resources on the screen. If you're kind of nerdy like me, most of you are not uh, nerdy like me. You're nerdy in your own way. Uh, go to Grasping God's Word, Chapter 9. And, and get some information. I think, Michael, you have that book, right? Uh, he's probably the only one who's maybe close enough nerdy like me who would even have that book. And then another book to get uh, to read on this topic is uh, Fee and Stewart's book. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. That's chapter two in that book. That's a paperback book. It's about this thick. You can get it on Amazon for like a two bucks. Um, it's a really good book. If you're a serious Bible student, you need this book in your library, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. God's word is inspired. God's word is inspired. Moses said, in the beginning, God created. Guess what? He did. He did. I like to take my atheist friends or my friends who don't believe that, and they'll say, well, you know, I believe that God used evolution. I believe that he did that. Well, where did that first cause? And they'll say, well, that first cause was God, right? And I'll say, well, why can't it be what he said? Right? If we're going to be looking for stuff, why can't it be what he said rather than him being that first cause of that first molecule? I wasn't there. 
right? I'm assuming most of you weren't either, right? Some of you, well, I'm old as dirt. I've been old as whatever. You probably weren't there, though, right? The way I think is, why don't we go with this? And this being God's word, right? We'll just call this God's word because this is what I'm holding. God wrote his Ten Commandments in stone. They weren't, he didn't write the ten suggestions. If y'all want to's, right? The ten y'all want to's. If y'all want to, y'all go ahead and do this. Exodus 31, 18. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave them two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Mark 1.15, when Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel, this is what we must do. Anything else to come to Christ is an is a easy believism. Right? I walked the aisle, or I prayed that prayer the preacher had, or maybe some of you got a Billy Graham little track that had the prayer that, you know, whatever. If we don't understand what we're doing when we pray that, if we don't understand when the preacher says, you know, pray after me, we understand that we have to come to him with repentance That means you're sorry for what you did. You realize that you're separated from God. And we've made it so easy to, apart from Scripture. We want to hold a high view of Scripture. The first thing that I want people to understand is that they've sinned. Right? When I was witnessing to this person, they said, well, I'm not really that bad. I thought, oh, perfect. Right? I can go right to the law. I want them to understand that, yes, you are that bad. Yep. Yeah. Well, you're making people feel bad. Well, good. Right? Some of you need to feel bad. You know who the worst person to witness to is? Barbara? Yeah, moral up Christians. Christians are the hardest to witness to because it takes a lot longer to get them to a point where they realize that they actually have sinned against God. And that they need to repent of their sin because their salvation is resting on something. We have done a poor job over the last several decades of showing that people must come to Christ through faith and repentance. It's not just saying things. It's not just agreeing with a church covenant or a a doctrine. It is by faith and repentance. God's word is inspired. You'll see your next uh, truth there is God's word is profitable. God's word is profitable. The NIV uses the word useful. God's word's useful. Pretty useful, right? Like that tool you use every day. It's pretty useful. Okay, but some of us don't use God's word like that. We kind of use it like it's useful once a week. It's useful when the preacher says, because you have your Bible, open it up to whatever, and you got to, you know, knock the dust off the thing and, you know, get get it cracked open there. It's useful. So why is it useful? He tells us if we continue reading, for teaching, for teaching. Christians, this is what we need to use when we're studying God's Word, when we're teaching God's Word. On the screen, you'll see this. Be very nervous when you hear this. You won't find this in the Bible, but God revealed this to me. Immediately when I hear that, I either shut down because you're a heretic or B, I want, to, I want to stop you and say, but where is it? Right, where is it? You're not going to find this in the Bible, but God revealed this to me. That's not right. If God's revealed something to you, guess where it's going to be? In Scripture. Whew. Thank goodness. You're not that special. 
I'm going to get stoned for that. Right? If God ever tells you something that's not in Scripture, that should be a warning sign to you, right? If, if you have something in your mind that you go, this is new to the whole thing, right? You should automatically say, uh-uh, something's wrong, something's up. And if you're listening to the TV preacher and he says that, right, get your little warning sign. You won't find this in the Bible, but God revealed this to me. Be somebody who asks lots of questions, right? I'm training my kids on that. That's my favorite thing to do, is ask, ask questions. And after you ask a question, what do you do next? You ask another question. And then what do you do after that? You keep asking questions. Because the people we're talking to, Whenever you ask the question that you really want an answer, they're not going to give you the answer you're looking for. So you're going to need to go about five or six questions in before they really understand. And by asking questions, they are thinking of the answers instead of you baiting them with an answer. Right? You baiting them with what, like, when, like I do, when people want to come and talk to me about salvation, I don't just say, hey, praise the Lord, uh, let's just go ahead and pray this prayer. I'll always ask them, so what do you want? What, what do you, what's going on? What's up? Well, I want to be saved. Okay, well, what do you need to do? And I'm very nervous when I, when I hear, well, will you tell me what to do, and I'll do that. Right? If they need me to go, go through Scripture, I want to do that. But if they approach me and want to be saved, they most of the time have already, they kind of have an understanding. Hey, what's up? What's going on? What do you need to, so how would you go about being saved? If God were to say, you know, why would I let you in my heaven? What, what do you need to do? What does his word say? And then they'll usually reveal what God has been showing them. Okay, why don't you pray that to, to the Lord? Well, what do I pray? Just that, whatever it is. What do I say? Whatever you want, right? Lead them like that. Ask lots of questions. Teaching is helping somebody to know something. It's not just giving somebody the answers. It's not just uh, being that knowledge dump truck where we dump out things, but it's, it's teaching in such a way that lives change. And that's what God's Word does. Believe it or not, we have a purpose with teaching. How many of you yesterday morning got up, you brushed your teeth, maybe you had a cup of coffee, you got, went to the shower, you got dressed, and then you didn't do anything with that? Anybody? Because if you weren't going to do anything with that, what would you do? You wouldn't brush your teeth, right? You ain't going to care. You get that morning breath. You're going to have a cup of coffee, and you're going to sit in your PJs, okay? And that's what happens sometimes in our, in our church life. We get up. We prepare. We do all these things. We come and sit for a teaching and then never receive the teaching, never do anything with it. It's like we get ready, we get dressed, we have our cup of coffee, we get our clothes on, and then we go nowhere with it. And like I used to tell my kids, um, sometimes when I'm teaching and preaching, I can tell who has got up in the morning, they've drank their cup of coffee, they've taken a shower, they've put their clothes on, and they're not here for teaching. They just, they're just doing what they do, right? And what I tell my kids is, I might look really dumb, but in real life, I'm smart, right? And so you can see that. I see that when I'm teaching and I'm preaching, and you see people doing this number right here.
see that, right? I'm not that blind. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active. Like, you saw me do that just a minute ago probably. I need to do something else. God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And if we were ready to go, if we were fired up, we would take this verse to heart, would we not? We read God's word. It would actually do something to us. We might underline things and might go, I need to remember that for later. Right? I got a friend who needs to hear this. Let me send him a text today. This is some awesome stuff. Rather than putting our big boy pants on and brushing our teeth and having a cup of coffee and then plopping back down the chair. Well, all right, here we go. What do I do? For rebuking. For rebuking. We hold a high view of Scripture and know that God's Word is profitable for when we use it for rebuking. To rebuke is to tell somebody they've done something wrong. And that's okay. It's okay. What word do we use in America for that when we're going to tell somebody they've done something wrong? We use a different word. It begins with a J. Judging. You're judging. Y'all, that's all y'all do is judge. You know what the Bible says, that we have a responsibility with one another. If we need rebuking for that person to come to them and say, hey, you know what? what you, that was not right what you did. Right? I saw that Facebook post. That was ugly. Right? I heard what you said at the restaurant. We were talking about, you know, that wasn't very nice, right? Rebuking. Luke chapter 3, verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, in the evil things he had done. He's sleeping with his brother's wife, right? This doesn't mean that we're going to go tell somebody that we don't like what they're doing. It means we're going and talking to people, telling them what you did was sin. And this right here is talking with other believers. It's talking about other believers, rebuking. It's not wrong to rebuke another believer. Do people like it? No. We hate it. But as, if we're believers and somebody comes to us with a rebuke, we need to receive that. If the person's giving it in love, we need to receive that in love. And say, you know what, they're telling me because they love me. And I, you know in your heart, if you've been rebuked scripturally, you know in your heart the Holy Spirit's convicting you and saying, yeah, they're right. I'm, I should be glad that they came to me. Thank you for doing that. I, I need to stop doing that thing. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Do you know what Concord and probably all 47 other Southern Baptist churches in our association are absolutely horrendous at? Church discipline. We are horrendous at church discipline. It would probably be the one thing that if I ever did, if I didn't do it just right, that I would get fired over here and probably everywhere else. You know why? Because most of us are kind of related. Right? You know, you really got to think about that when you're, like a, when, you're, when you're going and you're correcting one person. You're going to them and saying, hey, if you can't get this corrected, I've got to bring Mike with me and I've got to go to the whole church. You really got to think about that when you're correcting one person and they've got five people in their family and then grandma sits over here and aunts and uncles sits over here and whoever lives down the street wants to badmouth because of that. 
right? But that's why, one of the reasons why we don't do that. For correcting, this word literally means the placing right again. So we'll rebuke and we'll correct, the placing right again. Correction helps the believer grow in a godly manner. It's okay to correct. And sometimes we need to learn, we need to pray about that. God, show me how I need to do this. Show me how I need to rebuke. Because sometimes we have that, that mouth problem. Someone will say something, then all of a sudden, like that. And then we go, oh, you know, I shouldn't have done it like that. I wish I could, I could bring that back and pray on that. For training, look at this quote from Warren Wiersbe. Warren Wiersbe says that rebuking shows what is not right. Correcting shows how to get right. And training shows us how to stay right. All these things work together, rebuking, correcting, and training. And finally, the last truth is God's Word equips us. 2 Timothy 3.17 says, So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's break down this verse really quickly. He talks about the man of God. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians. He's equipping us. Equipping us. All, scriptural, all scripture is profitable for all Christians, men and women, teens and kids, all Christians. But let's look at three problems here on the screen. Number one is we expect lost people to hold to this, right? We go, well, they're not acting right. Well, they're not acting right because they're lost, right? So get over it. Let them do what they do, right? Don't let it shock you that lost people say and do certain things. It's what they do. Right? There is literally nothing that you could say to me that would shock me. I could say things to you that would shock you. And I might do it sometimes. Who knows? We expect lost people to hold to this standard. It's ridiculous. Right? They shouldn't. It's brothers and sisters in Christ. Number two, some Christians are simply ignorant and immature, picking and choosing Scripture. If you're here today, yes, I'm talking to you. If you pick and choose Scripture, I am calling you ignorant and immature. Let that sink in for a minute. Brother Toby's calling me names. You're ignorant. You don't know any better. That's what ignorant means. You're immature because you're taking Scripture for what you want. That's immaturity. Right? God's Word is God's Word. And why don't we just say, I don't know it. I don't understand this part, rather than saying that part. I'm going to chuck this part. Because here's where I go. If you're going to chuck this part, let's just go ahead and chuck some dude rising from the dead after he was in the grave for three days. Are you kidding me? When's the last time you've seen that happen? That's the first thing I'm going to throw out. And then I'm going to go do what I want. Number three, some who call themselves Christians but are what? But they're not. They're not. And that's part of the problem sometimes. We have people in our midst who call themselves Bible believers. They call themselves born again, and they are not. And because they're not, they're going to say and do things that are not Christian. So that's how we can know sometimes. Well, Brother Toby, you're judging. You can't judge. Scripture gives us some pretty clear parameters about who's a Christian and who's not and how to pick it out, right? Again, I might look dumb, but in real life, I'm really smart. I'm not tooting my horn. I was just teasing the kids with that. You know, kids treat you like you're dumb sometimes, but in real life, mom and dad, you're really smart. Maybe thoroughly equipped. Your translation may say adequate, may say complete or capable. The word thoroughly carries with it the idea of being completely proficient. You are proficient in God's word. 
And because we hold a high view of Scripture, we're going to be proficient. If you're one of the people who claim to be a Christian and don't hold a high view of Scripture, you're not going to be very, very proficient in Scripture. It's easy for a Christian who's been in the Word for just a couple years to pick apart your stuff. It's not real hard. Thoroughly equipped is a rare Greek word. It's only found about twice in the Bible. The other part is in uh, Acts 21.5. In that thoroughly equipped, it means done. There's nothing else. It'll give you everything. Acts 21.5 says, or starting 4, In finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now 5. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed, went on our way, and they had accompanied us with wives, children, till we were out of the city. It says, when we had come to the end of those days. Those days were finished. Those days were done is what he's talking about right there. So we take that same idea, we dump it on 2 Timothy over here in chapter 3. It's done. You have completely what you need. Well, plus this, plus what God said over here. No. Plus what I think I'm getting revealed over here. No. God's word gives us everything we need. For every good work is the next one you'll see on the screen. Scripture fulfills the work of ministry. Listen to what Paul said in Timothy chapter 4. Finish through 17. Move on to 4 verses 1. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Imagine that. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. He's talking about growing in and learning God's word right here. He's talking about you ministering. You getting out and ministering God's word. He's given everything that you need to go and do that. The word preach and teach here. He's not talking about simply just a preacher like this. On the screen you'll see uh, Nida's definition of this. Preaching means to publicly announce Christian truths while urging for acceptance and compliance. And guess what? You can do that. You can do that. Let me go get the preacher. Because what's the preacher going to tell you when you say, hey, preacher, I need you to come go do this thing? Have you done it? Right? You've done it, right? And then you're going to go, oh, uh, yeah, right? So you come to me, just do it first, and then I'll be glad to do it. You're supposed to be doing that. It means being ready at all times to share the good news. What is the good news? Oh, my goodness. I got about three Gospels, Mike. That's of you lost, I guess. I don't know. Come on. What's the good? Yeah, we got a few more. It's the Gospel, right? Can we say that? Can we explain the Gospel? And I don't know. After you guys don't know the answer to that, next week I'll do a sermon on how to Explain the gospel to somebody. It means to rebuke and correct when people are wrong. Right? We can preach. We can explain the gospel. We can rebuke. We can correct. It means to teach. It doesn't mean you have to be a teacher. It doesn't mean that you have to be a Wednesday night, Sunday morning teacher. It doesn't mean you have to be a professional teacher. It means, Christian, as you learn and as you're sharing these truths with other people, 
you are teaching them God's word. Apparently, I got all worked up and got my keyboard up. My invitation is going to be a little bit different today. What I want to do is I want to challenge those of you who have signed a commitment to share um, with 2017 people in 2017. Whenever the music starts, I want you to come uh, and come to the front and come at the, uh, the front pews uh, and pray for those that you've been sharing with. Come to the altar and pray for those that you've been sharing with. Uh, and the second part of my invitation is this. If you're here today and you know that you are apart from God, that you don't have salvation based in Christ alone, that it was based on whatever it was or nothing at all, the second part of my invitation is this. While everybody's praying for their friends and family and those they've been sharing for, sharing with, I want you to come and talk to me and say, Toby, I need to learn more about Jesus. I'm apart from him uh, in my sin, and I know that if I were to die today, that I would stand before God, and I've got no good thing to say for my life. I'm apart from him, and I would spend eternity in hell. I have not repented of my sin. What do I need to do for that? How do I need to get right with God, and what does it look like for me to, to walk anew in Christ? And I want to share that with you uh, during this time of invitation. And if you don't feel comfortable, text me. My number's on the screen uh, at a time. Uh, write that down. Find it from somebody. Send me a text and say, Toby, I need to talk with you about how I can know Christ as my Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that during this time of invitation that we would have a great response from our ones who have uh, committed to follow um, and, and share the good news of the gospel message with their friends and family. Father, I pray that as we lift these names and people up uh, and those that we're going to reach, uh, that you might work in these lives, Father, for those that you have appointed for salvation. Father, let us be faithful starting right now, all the way throughout the rest of the week, to share your good news, to hold a high view of Scripture, and show people that all of Scripture is profitable. It is all good for training, rebuking, uh, teaching, and correcting. And Father, I pray most of all for those who are here today who are apart from you, that they might come to know you as their Lord and Savior, they might repent and believe the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.